This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech Talk Revolution. What does a machine see and can it recognize things? So can I recognize that you have glasses on? Can I recognize that you have a beard? Or can I recognize the painting behind you, for example? And that's really what visual detection, visual, the part of visual AI that we're concentrated on. Hi, I'm Johnny Kaplan, and you're listening to Tech Talk Revolution. Our world is changing faster than we know it, and the future is already here via hot new entrepreneurial startups from all over the globe. Their innovative thinking, technical wizardry, are bringing us incredibly new technologies designed to make the world a better, safer, cleaner, and more exciting place. More and more of the startups we see today are integrating artificial intelligence as part of their solution. That's why our next guest has succeeded with a platform integrating data into many different verticals, including medical detection and facial recognition, amongst others. Meet with CEO and co-founder of Chooch AI, Emra Gultkin. Hi, Emra. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us today. We're very excited to hear about what you've been working on. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. Tell us, you know, your position there at Chooch and, and what you're doing. And, and then please, if you can, tell us how you got into this. What was your path into entrepreneurship and developing these innovative solutions? Thank you, Johnny. I really appreciate the time and glad to be here today. So, yeah, who would get into AI? Who would get into machine learning? And, like, what is this all about? So my background is uh, I've been an entrepreneur since college. So I developed and exited several companies to date. And mainly uh, in real estate and social investments and so forth, but always technology oriented at the same time. And so what happened uh, over the last uh, decade or so, my partner and also my brother developed a AI system for the healthcare industry. And basically what happened was, it was like, can we take this to market and make it more generalized at the same time? So it was basically a system of visual detection of radiology and said, listen, can we, can, we, can we create a better product out of this? And can we actually take it to market and make it a more general, general visual detection system? So we, we took that and said, hey, listen, we, there, there's something here about AI. And this was back in 2014. So it was, you know, six, seven years ago when we were starting to conceptualize this properly. Talked to a few people in the Valley. I said, you know, what do you guys think about these types of deep learning frameworks and machine learning going forward, and especially on the computer vision side. And basically the census at the time was, this is the future. So anything that had to do with computer vision 
and visual detection and and that type of stuff seemed to be rolling at the time. So we just said, let's let's get into it. Let's develop it. Not develop it as scientists per se, but let's develop it as users for enterprises and make it more frictionless for AI adoption. But tell us a little bit more about visual AI because it rolls off your tongue as in, you know, it makes sense to you, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who who's still not clear on that. And I think it's a phenomenal use of AI, you know, with all of the data that we've currently got. So if you could just explain that in a nutshell so that our, our listeners could understand a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, as practitioners, we talk about this a lot. So there are different parts of AI and visual AI is one part of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, and what we're concentrated on is basically the detection bit of it. So what does a camera see? What does a machine see and can it recognize things? So can I recognize that you have glasses on? Can I recognize that you have a beard or can I recognize the painting behind you, for example? And that's really what visual detection, visual, the part of visual AI that we're concentrated on, but expand that over very different types of imagery and also different types of expertise. So every person who is in business has a certain expertise in, in how they see things, depending on what their backgrounds are. So it could be someone who's looking at microscopy. It could be someone looking at satellite imagery from space. It could be someone looking at actions in a football stadium. So all those people have certain expertise to be able to cue and understand what they're looking at. And what we do as a company is we take that capability of those people and, and copy them into machines so that the machines can scale those capabilities. So just give you an example, like does someone have a hard hat on or off? Very PPE compliance. So do they have their masks on or off? Do they uh, have their gloves on or off? So kind of these basic uh, elements are very mundane things that humans do really well. We're copying into machines. So it's what can the camera or what can the stream, the video stream actually detect? And that's what we do as a company. But a lot of people really, uh, that sounds great. And a lot of people, thanks for explaining. A lot of people really see the innovation of technology as new gadgets, the new iPhone, the, the new drone, whatever it is that comes out, the new Oculus Rift or, you know, Oculus, whatever it's called. And they're thinking about technology as in a device or something. But what I love about companies like yourselves is that you have found a use for technologies that we have today to innovate with the AI, but actually re-engineer data that you've got currently, as in, like you said, on the cameras or uh, things that you might have online that might give you information that you might be able to scan and, and, and analyze. So I, I think this is very useful in the workplace. Obviously, you know, COVID, like you said, safety, helmets, masks, all those kind of things in industrial places kind of gives you an early warning to prevent any actions and you're saving people's lives as well. So. So it's quite amazing. So tell us a little bit about the company. How did you form the company? Was it yourself that founded the company? And if so, you know, who did you collaborate with? Have you managed to generate some investment? Where are you taking it? That sort of thing. Yeah, great points, Johnny. So it was very important for us to be a software company and not a hardware company. And going back to what you were saying about the difference between our gadgets and software and so forth. And uh, the reason for that was because software was, uh, it's very, it's scalable. And it's easier to iterate on software, especially if it's on the cloud, even if it's on like Docker's on the edge and so forth. So 
For us, we formed the company on that basis where we said, hey, we're, we're a software company. It's a SaaS play. It's an enterprise play. And we formed the company in late 2015 here in the Silicon Valley in San Mateo. And we basically started pitching. We put our own money into the company first as founders. We had two founders, um, the CEO and I have the CTO. And basically started pitching the clients and also investors. So we already had a beachhead client at the time that kind of pushed the product in a certain direction. And on that basis, we spoke to investors and it was very, very difficult initially to find investment. We raised a, a, a seed round. We raised a convertible note afterwards and we raised Series A most recently in November 2020. So today we've raised over $23 million in funding. And a lot of that came from, you know, persistence. I mean, you've got to have a product that works well. But you also have to be able to be persistent with investors and the ecosystem as well. So we found good partners on the investment side. We found good partners on the ecosystem side as well and kind of accelerated the development of the product and also deployments with clients at the same time. So we're in the commercial space and we also work with the U.S. government very closely, the DOD. So we have two kind of branches inside the company where they're feeding off of each other in terms of iteration of the product and also the scaling of it. It is a long path to entrepreneurship in this field. It's not an easy path. And like Sam Altman says all the time, first time we see it, <laughs> first, first time there's an idea, they all sound bad in the, in the beginning. But as you keep iterating on it and being persistent and gaining more traction, it becomes more obvious the problem that you're solving. So. The problem that we were solving with visual detection was not that obvious, like five years ago. It just seemed like, hey, Google's doing it or Amazon recognition is doing it. Well, sort of in a way, but in, in, in a different way, they weren't doing it and they still aren't doing it. So it's for startups like us to solve some of these problems and focus on some of the use cases that are out there in the market. And we do PP detection, we do fall detection. We do a lot of these types of different detections but it's really beyond that. What you're really doing here is you're creating structured data out of unstructured data. So millions and millions of hours of video that are not seen today or never have been seen unless there's an incident, you're structuring that data and making it searchable and findable. So it's really beyond the detection. Detections are really great. That's how you start. Like defect detection, fall detection, PPA, it might be like social distancing. It could be wildfire detection from space and so forth. But then how do you aggregate that data from the past and also currently, and how do you, how do you make it useful? So that's been our, our thing. And we see a, a very big market in that moving forward. But you are actually the guy that George Orwell was talking about in his book, Big Brother. You are the real life incarnation of kidding. So obviously what you're doing is for the benefit. I'm just kidding about that. But the days of computers and cameras and so on have really come and and are upon us. And that really was my point is that it's very timely. I think when you first started, it was harder because AI wasn't such a buzzword. And it certainly is today. We have a brand new series coming out very soon, The Rise of AI, which is very specifically that we, we talk about the changes in the AI landscape and, and, and what's going on there. So I think it's very timely. Uh, I think it's very evident of that. I think it's obviously very, very efficient and useful. And that's why you've got support of the DOD, the government, and, and you know, other great clients and partners. So, so, so that makes a lot of sense. I also wanted to say that it's a common misconception 
that you shouldn't make a mistake with something. And I think that's a, a false misconception. People think when they're being entrepreneurial or innovative, they have to execute perfectly in the first time. I think that's a massive, massive misconception because who makes no mistakes makes nothing. So uh, making mistakes is very much the essence of uh, making success. And, and through those series of failures or mistakes, you actually learn and you evolve and you develop. And those mistakes are the very things that guide you to the right answers and, and how to do it right the next time. So it's wonderful to hear that from you. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You have to just keep battling on through. And that's one of the admirations I have for an entrepreneur is the fact that they have to work so hard and be so determined to break through. So it's really, really great to hear that. So I've seen that you have some IoT, some Internet of Things, also integrated into that. So tell us a little bit about how the platform would work in such a scenario and how IoT is the sharing of data between different devices that are in a close vicinity or even perhaps that aren't in a close vicinity. So how is your solution adding value in that particular scenario? Yeah, great point, Johnny. So the issue with video in particular has been the streaming of those videos to a cloud or even a private cloud and then inferencing, which is when the AI makes a prediction and then sends back that information to, you know, wherever it needs to send that information to. So you put the load of that video streaming on the cloud or on any type of device, it's a huge load. And so one of the things that we did was we were able to dockerize our system and then put it onto relatively small devices, whether they're GPU run or CPU run. And so the inferencing, which is the prediction, so that the stream comes into the device, which is very close to the camera or even inside the camera, and the inferencing, the AI is living in there and then does the detections and sends it back to like alerts or on to a database. So one of the things was how do you scale this thing without breaking the bank? And also with the privacy and all the other things that are going on, how do you make it plausible that these AIs live in these IoT devices or these edge devices or even on-prem devices somewhere? That was a big challenge for us. And what we did was uh, we worked with healthcare companies and even DOD and even some of the larger commercial clients. They're like, hey, we don't want to send our information to the cloud, especially if it's video streaming. And there are many, many reasons for that. It was a, how do you take that system and put it out onto these devices? And so we dockerized the system and put them on, on, on these devices, very distributed network where you can actually put models onto and uh, stick streams into, add models, add streams, and manage these devices from one single dashboard. So it's on our dashboard today, you can actually set up your own devices, multiple at the same time, add multiple streams to those devices and get them up and running in warehouses or manufacturing areas or retail spaces, wherever you may need them. So the IoT bit of this is very, very important because what we're seeing more and more is a distributed system where these AIs will be living on the edge, actually. And that's where we've been pushed by the market too. So it's a great point. In a usual scenario, you expect this AI to be one large central brain it processes, it thinks, and it acts. But actually what you're telling me is the way that you're working is that there are computation and processing locally on each of these devices that's sending different bits of data after it's already processed it a bit, which is quite amazing. So 
all of these little devices on their own have their own little brain in some way. And it's actually connecting those through the link of whether it's Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, whatever it is you're using to connect. But, but, but actually you connect all of those things and you make a super brain by uh, connecting a, a load of different data points and, and entry points. That's very exciting. And I didn't really know uh, that's the way that it was feasible to work like that. And they had the ability to kind of process locally. So really, really cool stuff. So tell us a little bit about what the future holds. Where are you? Where are your aspirations to get to? What is your mission? You're now working with the DOD. You're doing great stuff. You're protecting people. You're looking out for people. You're looking out for people's health. What's the future hold? Where are you trying to get to? It's difficult to see where this is going. And one thing that we've been kind of struggling with, basically iterating on internally our AI ethics and how we deploy these things and who, who, has, who has access to these types of machines and also the data that's being produced. So for us, we've been working on that as well to see how we can make this grow without making it dysfunctional at the same time. Because anytime you introduce a new technology that's very disruptive, and AI is definitely one of them. And we're, we're a small piece of that, but still a part of it. Say, how do you, how can we make this, how, 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 how do we create a net positive out of this? So we're thinking more on the lines of making these systems open. And that's why our system is very open. Anyone can sign up, anyone could start training on it, training their, training at AI, they can de deploy a model and so forth. So this whole area about ethics has become more and more important, especially in the West. And so we're navigating around that. But at the end of the day, the real issue that we're solving is, is what we just talked about, which was how do you, you have millions and millions and maybe billions of hours of video and images from the past and currently being produced in the future. And that's just increasing exponentially. So the amount of video that's being produced by users, just exponentially increasing and all the different cameras that are out there. So how do you create structure out of that? How do you create structure out of that? How do you create insights out of that, which will help efficiency uh, without taking on equity at the same time? So it's like this efficiency equity trade-off that we've been dealing with in economics for the past, let's say, 100 years. How do you make it that, okay, well, I will make these enterprises or this community efficient, but also I want to make everyone's lives better at the same time. So kind of this, this whole thing of that push is making us think differently about how we're deploying these at the same time. But at the end of the day, really, it's about structuring that data, structuring that data that's coming from streams. It's totally unstructured today. Nobody knows what's happening really until there's an incident. You go back and look at the video footage. That's kind of been our mission. Like, how do we do that? How do we copy human visual intelligence in the machines better and better? And how do we scale that so that it's available to everybody? I think that's one of the most exciting things about AI is that the truth is nobody knows what the heck's going on, right? We're all just trying to actually build stuff and none of us actually really understand the human body fully or how it works or the brain. And we're trying to replicate it often at certain times. We're trying to copy it. And that's also difficult. And it's this constant sort of innovative process, right? Of development and testing and seeing what it's going to happen. But it's great to hear that ethics is important to you. I think it's an important thing to take into consideration. I think obviously you've got to make sure that you balance between making it open on one side and then making it inaccessible and unbreakable to the other side, right? So that it can't be used for malicious uses. But you're certainly in the right space. AI is certainly the flavor of the decade, 
I would say. And we're going to see remarkable changes in the commercial and the global landscape because of AI in the next five to 10 years. Um, it's very exciting space that you're in. We're certainly going to keep following you and keep track of what you're doing. For anyone that wants to read up on Chooch AI, that's C-H-O-O-C-H dot A-I. That's Chooch dot A-I. You can read up more. We're speaking to Emra Gultakin, the CEO. It was really, really great to hear from you today. AI is one of my passions and I love what you're doing with it. I think it's a highly impactful and, and, and beneficial solution. And it's great to hear that the owners are really concerned about doing that in the right way and in a practical way and in an ethical way. It's a pleasure, Josh. So thank you. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming. And we look forward to, to following in your footsteps as you uh, get further with the company. Thank you. That was so fascinating. And I can see why companies like Chooch AI and entrepreneurs like Emra Gultakin are really gonna be paving the way for our future. In the next episode of Tech Talk Revolution, we meet with one pioneer who's using drone technology to protect our skies. CEO and co-founder of Rise Technologies, Colby Harvey. As always, I'm Johnny Kaplan, and Tech Talk Revolution is a co-production of Tech Talk Media and Electrocast Media. Executive producers are myself, Johnny Kaplan, Ronald Hans, Mark Netter, and Peter Rafelson. Our producer is Rianne Faye-Seninning, and our editor is Carl McCarthy. Stay tuned to Tech Talk Revolution for our next episode, where we continue our journey meeting leaders of the world's most amazing startups, bringing you more incredible new technology from across the world. If you'd like to learn more about the startups we visited, please check out our show notes for additional information. For more info on the Tech Talk Media company, please visit our website at techtalkmedia.tv. You can subscribe to Tech Talk Revolution wherever you listen to podcasts and wherever you can catch up on some of the amazing guests in our previous episodes as well. We greatly appreciate if you leave a wonderful rating or review. And please do share this podcast with your friends to let them know about Tech Talk Revolution. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.